Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we ask that you would come now and you would visit us um, in a way that speaks to us so clearly. Lord, I ask that I would be able to stand aside and that you would be able to speak clearly to us all through me. Lord, that you would incline our hearts and our ears to your voice and that we would receive your word in such a way, Lord, that we would be changed by it that we would grow in love and unity in Christ, and that we would leave here today desiring to share the message of the gospel and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to all that we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Chapel Street. It's good to be back. It's good to see people online. Good morning to you as well. Uh, we're back again in our series of the I Am Sayings of Jesus of which there are seven, and this is part two. Uh, there are actually eight, um, or seven and a half. We'll see how that works out in the future. But this is part two, and last time, if you remember, we did I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and this time, I am the light of the world. Now, the Word of God has a lot to say about darkness and about light. In one sense, it begins with light, and it ends with light, the Bible. It begins in Genesis, and it's a very powerful metaphor that's given to us on the first day of creation, right at the beginning, God creates light. If you remember, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And so we had day and night on the first day. There's also the idea in the Bible that God himself is light. If you take a look at the link between God being light and salvation, it's all over the Old Testament. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strong, the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And of course, the word itself, the very Bible itself, is also described as something that provides light. You'll see it in Psalm 119 and in Proverbs. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. A lamp. This word of God that we read every day, hopefully, we come here and read it here and we hear it expounded to us, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's something that helps us to walk well. It should cause us to walk in the light. But also God does things by the light of his face. We haven't got time to read all of these, but Psalm 44 would be a good example. We might also look at 2 Corinthians 4 and see the way that light and faces, i.e. the face of Jesus, come together there. But perhaps our kind of most powerful version of seeing the light is in reference to that passage that was read in Isaiah um, about the coming king. It's very uh, pertinent and appropriate for today because of Christmas being just around the corner. That coming king who would be that wonderful counselor, 
that mighty God, that everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, was to come to us as a little baby boy. And he would be seen by the people as a great light. That text, Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And so there's lots of light. There's just a few examples. We'd be here all week if we wanted to read them all. But there are lots of examples of this concept and reality of light in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But there's also the concept of darkness. Darkness being a place where God judges, pours out his wrath. But darkness is also a place where people exist. A kind of blindness, a stupor of ignorance, if you will, of the truth. So God created light. This isn't an accident. This isn't some kind of beautiful metaphorical accident. It's actually designed that way. And uh, God has specifically caused us to understand the way that light works by creating it. And so this metaphor is very, very important for us so that we get the reality of what's being said. So help me just to unpack for a second the context that we find ourselves in, in this passage in John, where the Lord says, I'm the light of the world. Well, to understand that, we need to recognize that there is a feast going on at this time. The Lord's been um, up in Galilee, and he's uh, made his way back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, where they're celebrating another event around light. There's a reenactment going on in the Feast of Tabernacles that causes people to celebrate a, a remembrance of what God has done. And that remembrance is around the Exodus, around the time when God called the people of Israel out of captivity or slavery in Egypt into the wilderness before they got to the Promised Land some 40 years later. And God calls and directs and leads the people by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire, or would I say a pillar of light during the night. Now prior to the section that we're looking at today, the Lord has begun in this particular feast to discuss who he is and to, uh, at one level, try and reason as it were, or to argue in another way that he is God. And this Feast of Booths, it's told that towards the end of the Feast of Booths, one of the things the Israelites did is they had four candles in the court of the women, so it's the outer court before the beautiful, or just inside the beautiful gates. They had these four candelabras that they used to light and lift up high, you know, 75 feet high. And it's said that the light from those candelabras would cascade down the hill, as it were, down across the city of Jerusalem. And it's in that context that the Lord says, I am the light 
of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I just want to spend a few minutes just breaking down this, this uh, saying, as I am saying, to understand it a little bit more. So firstly, just like last time, the I am saying, that's known as the Tetragrammaton. Last time I actually said that, but I also said Elohim, which is in the original in the Exodus passage. But it's really the word um, Yahweh that is translated into the I am sayings. It's put simply, it just means I'm God. I am the self-existent one. I am. I always was and I always will be. It's Jesus using sayings like this that has immense significance for the people that are listening to them. And perhaps to us today, it's not instantly significant. But if I told you that when the Lord uses one of these I am sayings, the people pick up the stones to stone him, to kill him because they believe he has blasphemed, you will know without doubt that the Lord is referring to himself as God. I am. Then he says, I am the light of the world. Well, in order to understand what the light is in the world, we need to understand a little bit about what the darkness is. Just recently, I uh, was reading the BBC News website, as I seem to do all too often these days, and I came across a photo of some women rejoicing. There were arms up in the air, there were embraces and there were tears of joy. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. I wonder what this story is. And I paused to read the story and I discovered that these were uh, happy, joyful women in Argentina because the bill to murder unborn children had just been passed. That's a darkness. Abortion is a darkness. Same-sex marriage is a darkness. Fundamentally, anything that goes against God's truth, his light is in darkness. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, we've been doing a study on it for, I think, over five months, possibly six months now, that people are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's a darkness following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan. There's a death to truth to life You're in darkness and cannot see the truth, cannot see the reality of things, not aware of sin, not aware of the penalty for sin, not aware of real life and certainly these days, not aware of hell. They're not believing in the God who is light. They might well believe in a God, but that God is not a God. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He makes that very clear. Believing in false gods. Mankind literally walks in darkness, stumbles around in darkness. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. People just don't understand how dangerous it is to be in this darkness. When you're in the darkness, you can't see the things that are actually around you. You can't see the nature of reality. Only when you go into a darkened room and switch on the light, 
does the darkness vanish and you're able to see everything clearly. And I was trying to work up a, an analogy for us, a little made-up story. Um, and I, I struggled a little bit, but I, I came up with something and hopefully this will this will help you understand the serious peril that darkness brings. I want you to imagine for a second that you're in the Second World War and perhaps you're in London during the Blitz when the, uh, the Germans were trying to bomb the city of London and other cities. And you're playing cards in the living room and it's blackout, so you're just playing cards by a little candlelight with your friends. And suddenly the air raid shelter goes off. The, the air raid siren, I should say, goes off when you say to your, your friends, well, we better get into the air raid shelter. Now in London, that usually meant going down into the underground. So you put on your coats, and out you go. And you go to the underground where the lights are also pretty well out. It's very little light down there during the blitz for the same reasons. And you wait and you hear the planes going overhead and you're sitting there with all these other people in the darkness. And one of your friends finds, amazingly, a box of cigars and hands out a cigar to yourselves and uh, takes one himself and passes the box along and you think to yourself, this is great, a cigar, a very rare thing in the Second World War. And uh, you look forward to smoking a cigar with your friends when you get back. Eventually the um, air raid a threat passes and you're allowed to go back to your, your house. And you go back in and you light up the candle and you get the cards out and say, right, let's get back to our game of rummy or, or whatever it is you're playing. And you say, well, let's smoke those cigars. And you pull that cigar out of your inside pocket, lean forward to the candle to light it, to discover it's actually a stick of dynamite. That's the problem with darkness. You cannot see the peril that is right in front of your nose. And light exposes all of that. The Apostle Paul in Romans tells us why we became dark or what, how we got into the darkness when he explains about how we rejected God, how we suppress the truth by our unrighteous deeds, how we came out of the light, as it were, and suppressed that and said, no, we want darkness. He talks about being without excuse because we know that there is a God and he created the world. We can see something of his, his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature. And then he says this, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Listen, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We, at the end of that chapter, this is chapter 1, verse 19, he explains a little bit more of what that darkness looks like in us. Of course, it's sin. And it's quite a terrifying list. Let me read it to you. They, those that were in darkness, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. He says they were full of envy, full of murder, Strife, deceit, maliciousness. He says they're gossips, they're slanderers, they're haters of God, they're insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. They're foolish, they're faithful, faithless, they're heartless, and they're ruthless. Darkness, blindness, death. 
That's the nature of reality. That's the nature of this fallen world. But into that world comes someone who says, I am the light of the world. So let's think about what light does for a moment. Well, the first thing that we're able to say is that light dispels darkness. As I've said, if you go into a dark room, turn on the light, the darkness vanishes. In another way, it exposes everything within that room that is true, demonstrates you what the room really looks like, what the reality of things are. You could say it reveals something. And as Jesus saying that he is the light of the world, he reveals something too. Well, what is that thing? Well, he reveals the truth, doesn't he? He reveals what is real. What are the things that are real? Well, the first thing is that Jesus is the I am. Jesus is God. It's amazing. This light that Jesus is reveals that he is God, that he is the light. He's the one being revealed by the light that he is. You can see that by what he says, the power he has. He speaks and the wind and the waves obey him. You can see that by his actions on the cross. The light exists in Christ to demonstrate to you and to me that he is Christ. Think for a moment about how that light works. You know, the passage, I think we looked at it some months ago now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about the glory of God in relation to the gospel. And he says, even if we preach our gospel to those who are perishing, so those that aren't going to be saved, even if we preach our gospel to those people who um, have had their minds blinded by Satan, who he refers to as the God of this age, he says that, that Satan is blinding their minds to keep them from seeing something. What's the thing that they're being kept from seeing? Well, he says it's the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ. See how darkness and Satan and sin, and deadness and unrighteousness blind us from seeing the truth. There is a light in the gospel. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. There is a light in the gospel that is Jesus, that is the truth. A little bit later in that passage, the Apostle Paul says, but God, referring to Genesis 1, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to reveal, there's the revelation, there's the revealing, there's the light switch going on. God has shone into our hearts to reveal the knowledge of the glory of God in the place of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? God has opened our, our hearts up by shining light into them, giving us real revelation of who Jesus really is, the glory of God. It's no wonder then that he says that he is the light of the world. When you see the light, you learn a few things straight away. You learn that Jesus is God. He is light. He is truth. He is the way. But you also learn that you're not the light. That you're actually in darkness. You're actually nothing like God. You're disobedient and sinful and you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And here it is, you're going to hell. 
It's a reality. And that's what light exposes when we see it in Christ Jesus. But it tells us too that he's God. He's sinless. He's beautiful. He's majestic. The light that is Jesus Christ shows us that he is holy. He is blameless. And he has sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. When you see the light that Jesus is, you see yourself as you really are. No more coverings. No more hiding who you are. But you see more than that, don't you? At least I hope you do. You see someone who loves you. In spite of the way that you are, he dies for you. And he's resurrected. That's true reality. That's the revelation that this light brings for us. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Well, what does he mean by the world? Well, he simply means there's only one light. It's me. There are no other lights. I'm the light of the world. There are people and ideologies that claim to have light, other religions that say they're the truth, but actually there is only one light, and he's the light. He's the one for the world. Think of other religions that talk about being enlightened, the whole kind of Eastern pantheistic, monistic, uh, New Age type religions all talk about having inner light and having some peaceful light in truth and being enlightened. They have lots of words for it. But Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And what does that mean? It means that those religions are just more darkness. They're more lies. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Well, the question then is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Am I following Jesus? It's an important question. Well, put simply, it just means, are you trusting him? Are you obeying him? Are you following him by hanging on to the promises that he gives us in this word? Think of uh, the expression the Lord uses. If any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and come after me. For whosoever will save his life, in other words, hang on to what he's got and his darkness will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my name's sake and the gospel will find it. To follow Jesus, it says we need to deny ourselves. We need to say that I am not the most important thing here. God is, and actually my neighbor is. Grace commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we don't do any of that all the time, but we also have to love our neighbor as ourself, to deny oneself, to take up one's cross. Because some people think that that refers to some kind of heavy weight that God has given us to bear, but I actually think it means we're going to the place where Jesus went to. The place of self-sacrifice. When you pick up your, your cross, you're not going to the local supermarket. You're going to die. If you want to follow Jesus, then you deny and die to self. Live 
for him. What does it mean, though, to not walk in darkness? And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever trusts me and obeys me, will not walk in darkness. What does not walking in darkness mean? Well, I think it's two things. The first thing I'm just going to call, <clears throat> excuse me, a present reality. And, sorry, a present requirement. And the second thing is a future reality. Well, with the present requirement, what does walking in the light look like? Well, I guess you could just read Ephesians again. Once you get past the blessings and the gospel, what the Spirit's done by sealing us, you move to, and this is how you need to walk. Walk in the manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Walk in the manner worthy of the gospel. Walk in the manner worthy of this light. That's Jesus Christ. Read it again. But listen to what 1 John says on this subject. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, listen, with one another. You hear that? Walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, maybe we could say the light, is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's a question for us sitting in that text about following Christ and not walking in darkness. And it's simple. Do you love your brother and sister in Christ? Do you love the church? Do you love the fellowship? with one another and so love and support one another? Or are you walking in darkness? Are you lying about the truth? In chapter two of 1 John, Paul says that he's writing no new commandment, but an old commandment that you'd heard from the beginning. He said, the old commandment is the word that you've heard. And at the same time, he says, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, referring to Jesus and in you. Because, listen, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Do you hate your brother and claim to be a Christian? I've done that in the past. God forbid that we do that today. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Why not? Because he's walking in the light, not in the darkness. But if you hate your brother, you're in darkness and you will walk in darkness. And you don't know where you're going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Present requirement to not walk in darkness is a command to love. 
to love one another the way you loved us, loving the saints, being honest about who you are in Christ, being honest about who you are in your sins. So how's your walk? Are you loving well? Are you walking in darkness or in light? And the second idea with not walking in darkness, I called a future reality. And I said at the beginning that the Bible really begins with light, but it also kind of ends with light, with a new creation. And when that day comes and we are called by God into that new creation and Christ is with man and man is with God, Paul, Paul John says, he saw, this is Revelation 21, 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Did you hear that? The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. There's a present requirement to not walk in darkness, but there's a future reality that one day you won't walk in darkness. There won't be any darkness. I don't know exactly what that will be like, but I won't be complaining about it because there will be no more darkness, no more sin, no more unrighteousness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But simply the light of life is eternity. It's Jesus, a place that is light, a place that is safe, with the saints forever. No more darkness ever again. But did you hear what he said? He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says he's the light. And if we want that eternal life, then we need to have the light. And if we do follow him, trust him and obey him, and confess to him, then we have that light. We have Jesus. So in conclusion then, you'd expect me to ask the question, wouldn't you? Do you have the light of life? He says he's the light of the world, and if you have him, you won't walk in darkness. Do you have the light of life? Do you have real life? Are you living in darkness and think you have life? Pretend you have life? Well, if you don't, then let me call you to Christ. This might be the day for you. Let me call you to come to the light of the world. That light that ultimately shines in the grand darkness and reveals the knowledge of the glory of God is the cross. We're going to be celebrating Christmas in a week or two. We're going to have our Christmas carols next week. I'm excited for that. And we're going to 
sing beautiful carols written just a long time ago by and large and they say something about the glory and magnificence of the incarnation the story doesn't stop at the incarnation god becoming man and dwelling with us it goes on the baby becomes a man and shows who he is and eventually he will say i am the light of the world and then you will go to the cross and on that cross, Jesus will take the penalty for the sin that you committed in darkness. He's already taken it. it happened 2,000 years ago. That's the point of the cross. You can't pay for your sin. You can't pay for the things you do in darkness, for the very dark nature of your soul. Paul said that the foolish hearts were darkened, the nature of man and so christ goes this light of the world goes to the cross and he says if you will i'll take your place i'll take your punishment for that darkness i'm light i'm holy and so he goes to the cross and he's judged by the father and he gives up his spirit and three days later he rose again from the dead that's the light that's the light that is the glory of god in the face of jesus christ have you seen it have you seen it have you looked at this you're no excuse i'm just trying to tell you what it is have you looked at jesus and seen who he really is and what he's done for the sin of the world there are no other lights i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me you might say to me, well, I don't really know how to respond to it. Let me tell you a little story. You all know in the Second World War, the Nazi regime ran a number of concentration camps, perhaps one of the most famous of which was Auschwitz. And Auschwitz had 1.3 million Jews and other people groups go through the gates. And 1.1 million of them died. It's terrible. And while they were in the camp, if you will, as a metaphor, they were in a darkness. They didn't really know what was going on in the world. They didn't really know that the Allied forces weren't that far away. Eventually, the Allied forces came to free who was left in that camp. And the Russians actually got there first, the Red Army. And in 1980, the general of the army that went into that camp to emancipate, to free the people, whose name was Georgi Elizavetsky, just told the story of what he saw when he went in. It was horrific. I'm not going to retell that. But he was shocked at the reaction, the initial reaction of the Jews. He said that they went in and they told the inmates there that you are free, comrades, you are free. But he said they didn't respond. So he tried to speak in Russian. Polish and German Ukrainian then he used some Yiddish they began to run away what an unusual response only when I said to them do not be afraid I am the colonel of the Soviet army I'm the boss I'm the guy at the top I know what's really going on I know the truth he said do not be afraid I am the colonel of the Soviet army and I'm a Jew. 
We have come to liberate you. Finally, he said, as if a barrier had collapsed, I'm going to add, as if they had seen the light, they rushed towards us, shouting, and they fell on their knees and kissed the very tails of our coats, and they threw their arms around our legs. You ask me, how do I respond to the gospel? Well, you run to Christ shouting and you fall on your knees and you throw your arms around and kiss his feet and say, you're my savior. You're the light of the world. You confess who you are. You confess who he is. You beg for mercy. That's how you become a Christian. And the moment you do that, you start walking in the light. And I know we sin. I know we, as it were, dip our foot or our toe into the darkness regularly enough. Read back in First John there. We go back and we confess. Jesus is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't get forgiven again. We just get reminded that Christ has died for us. We step back in the brilliance of that light again. So please, you've got no excuse. If you see who you are, a sinner deserving wrath and condemnation and ultimately hell, and you stand in the glory of a risen Savior and say, oh God, then just confess who you are and run to him and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, have mercy on me. That's how you become a Christian. And finally, if you are a Christian, and you do dip your toe into the darkness with regularity. And if we're honest, no one is able to not sin for very long, although we should um, be called to that holiness. You know, the Bible does that. This pulpit for the last couple of years has called us to holiness. It's been a common theme. It just let us kind of wallow around in delight and grace, but to change our lives. So if you get that wrong, you'll walk is in darkness from time to time, if you are struggling, suffering, if perhaps your faith has become sort of dull to you, desensitized because of your sin. And I just want to say a few things to you. Don't listen to the world for your walk. Open the word of God, that lamp to your feet, that light to your path. Open it. Illuminate your path. You've got to walk to walk. In fact, we're called to run it. In Hebrews, there's a race set before you. Endure and run. But open the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Listen to the world. Don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to the flesh or the devil. Keep following. Keep trusting. Keep obeying Christ. And when you fail, Confess, repent, get back up, start running again. Keep loving the sin, saints. Love one another. Jesus says, you, are, you ask me how they know I live? Well, they'll see the love that you have for one another. Be honest about who you are. The light has come and it has shone in the darkness. There's no time. Denying who you really are. That's pointless. 
And finally, let me leave this with you. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But he also says this. You. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, we again just come before you humbly. We pray, Lord, that for those that might be here or online or further afield that don't yet know you, we pray that your light would shine in their hearts to reveal the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would for the first time see who they really are, see who you really are and just like you. Lord, for the rest of us, perhaps, Father, our walk has become weary and we, um, yeah, tired and exhausted and uh, need to kind of stand in the light again. I pray, Lord, that you would cause that to happen to us. Lord, forgive us if we wander away from you, but call us back, please. And Lord, you, I pray that you would make us a people who read your word, who come down on, on Wednesday night and pray and want to just beseech you and call you to work in our lives so that others may come to know you. Lord, please part us now in your fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.